welcome back to the 37th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be going through some of the World Cup news, and at the end, we'll be talking about my predictions for the World Cup. I'm recording this on Sunday, the first official day, and this will be going out on Monday, the first day that the USA plays. So... I want to, you know, hear your opinions. That's what our daily debate is today. Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? As an American, I I obviously want the USA to win. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that's the most realistic thing that's going to happen. We have a nice young all-star team. But, at like I said, at the end of the day, we have Portugal, which is stacked. England, which has lots of young up-and-comers. Spain, Germany, Brazil, Argentina, and a whole bunch of other countries that are just as qualified, if not more qualified, than the United States. So we'll see how that all pans out. And, you know, I want to see if you're willing to put your comments down there in the comments section. I want to hear your opinions. If you have any hot takes or if you have any odds on what the final is going to be and the final score, I'd love to hear it posted down there. Like I said, I'll probably respond to the first few. I just kind of want to see what everybody's thinking. And considering I am based in the U.S., I'm assuming that a lot of people are going to say they want the U.S. to win. But if you're listening from a different country, go ahead, put it down in the comment section. And like I said, at the end is when I'll be filling out or giving my hypothetical bracket. And more honestly, it's more important just trying to look at the finalists and who I think is going to win. And I will give a score prediction at that point. And it will probably be somewhere around the 20 to 25 minute mark. I'm going to try to add bookmarks slash chapters in the timeline, but we'll see how that pans out. All right. Our first story comes from Forbes. On the eve of the World Cup, FIFA boss Infantino blasts Qatar critics. So if you paid any attention to the World Cup or even just Western media in general, there has been a bit of a, an uproar, a conversation around what has been happening in Qatar with the workforce that is putting together a lot of these stadiums and different event arenas and building up the infrastructure for the World Cup this year. And there's been a lot of talk about the treatment of these workers. A majority of them are migrant workers coming from outside Qatar, and their treatment has been brought into question, whether that be pay or working hours, working conditions, how they're treated by their managers, maybe being verbally abused when they're not meeting their deadlines. All of these concerns have been brought up. And, you know, from the outside, in a culture that really, or at least in the Western world, where we have this really idealized version of human rights, we are really projecting onto a country that doesn't necessarily see all citizens as and all peoples as equal. And I'm not trying to say excuse their beliefs that at the end of the day that is unethical and that really means that you don't value all humans equally. But remember, we have in the West here have a very particular mindset, a very particular view of certain issues. And how some of the Qatari people and political influencers have been talking about how, well, these are migrant workers. And the conditions, they may not be the best in the world, but they're making way more money than they would if they were back home trying to feed their families. 
They're making a good chunk of change in order to put all of this infrastructure together for the World Cup. And that's one of the arguments I heard at first. And while I don't think it excuses anything, I think it is a good point that at the end of the day, they are making good money and they are providing for their families back home. Now, should Qatar have outsourced most of its labor in the first place? No, but a majority of their population is extremely wealthy and they're not manual workers. They work either bureaucratic government jobs or for the oil industry, and a lot of office jobs are in Qatar. So there's not many manual laborers. So they really did have to export a lot of it. And, you know, the complaints about the worker conditions and treatment have been brought up not just in the last few months, but it was even a concern a year ago when people were talking about will they get the projects done in time and then realizing that in order to do so, they're probably going to work their workers a lot harder. And a majority of the workforce is are migrants, like I talked about. And that's where there's this other conversation just beyond human rights. It's well, you're bringing these people in, but at the end of the day, you're going to kick them out? I mean, when they're done with their work at Qatar, are they just going to go home and then never come back? Or are you going to allow them to stay and work on other infrastructure jobs? And the Qatari government has not had that conversation whatsoever. So both FIFA and Qatar have had to make statements about the abuses going on within the country. Quote, on the eve of the World Cup, FIFA president... Gianni Infantino has offered a defense of the host nation Qatar, accusing Western critics of hypocrisy after a rambling, utterly jaw-dropping, and at times shocking, often political one-hour monologue. And he started with comments that really, that's the end of the quote, by the way, he started with comments that really seemed bizarre and out of touch, commenting that on the identity politics game that is so often found when Western media companies and, you know, this is talking about Europe and America, talk about certain issues around the world, which the author actually points out is very ironic because last week, only last week, Infantino wrote letters to countries attending the G20 summit telling them not to get bogged down by politics. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's trying to make it a political issue about the West playing identity politics games and not understanding the situation in Qatar. So it's, it's ironic coming from him. It's a little bit hypocritical himself, even though he's calling the Western media c- companies hypocrites. I mean, it, it's really out of touch, and that's why I started with that. But we're going to keep reading from this article here. Quote, He presented his own life as that of a migrant. Furious, Infantino took on the mantle of a victim as a foreigner in Switzerland, a bully kid at school. Life, in his view, at FIFA was tough as well. Quote, as a foreigner in a foreign country, explained Infantino, as a child I was bullied because I had red hair and freckles. Plus, I was an Italian, so imagine. What do you do then? You try to engage, make friends. You don't start accusing, fighting, insulting. You start engaging. And this is what we should be doing, end quote. So in so many words, he's trying to say that we need to come together, that we need to celebrate football, not criticize Qatar at this moment. And this speech really has fallen on deaf ears as members of the European and American media have really doubled down on their criticisms after his speech. And 
I don't blame them whatsoever when he's coming out in defense of a nation that is obviously not caring about its workers, especially those that are from other countries. You know, it raises questions. You can't just come in and say, oh, well, I was a foreigner, I was a migrant, and I would have taken any opportunity I could have gotten when I was this age. Yes, but also you went to Switzerland, one of the richest countries in the world, like Qatar. But you are Italian. You are still of a similar ethnic background. And also, Switzerland is a fully developed economy, whereas Qatar is still developing, and it's extremely hot. So when you're doing manual labor outside, it's not like you can put on a nice fur coat and you can try to stay warm in the Swiss Alps. No, you have to (laughs) quite literally wear a certain uniform because in Qatar, as we'll mention in the next the next article here, you can't show any bare skin. So you have to work in that extreme heat during the hottest time of the year. I mean, they had to work during this summer. And guess what? They moved the World Cup from the summer because it was going to be too hot. They can't wear any sleeveless shirts. They have to wear long sleeve or just normal T-shirts because they can't show their shoulders. They can't lift up their shirt and show their chest in fear of possibly getting arrested or at least reprimanded for doing so. So the conditions are very different here. And Infantino is really off base. And I kind of, when I read that, it rubbed me the wrong way, if you can't tell by how passionate I got there. And these are most definitely serious concerns. And I have no doubt that in the future, we're going to have to have host countries that will ensure fair conditions for their workers. And they're going to have some sort of test for that in the future because I don't think FIFA wants this kind of backlash like they had this year. And for any country trying to host the World Cup, that will definitely be a criteria. And I'm pretty sure it already is a criteria, but it will be one that is ever more present in the decision-making process. All right, so we're going to move on to an article from NPR. Here are things the World Cup fans are restricted from doing in Qatar. So if you were going or are going to the World Cup in Qatar, then don't get your hopes up about getting drunk in the stadium and singing songs arm-in-arm with other fans. Just two days before the beginning of the festivities, Qatar announced that it will no longer allow alcoholic drinks in normal seats at the stadiums. And, you know, it's really interesting to me that the normal seats can't do it, but the Elite executive boxes, well, of course, sir, you can have your champagne, you can have your alcohol, no problem. It's just the normal seats where it's not allowed. So that dichotomy is hypocritical all on its own. But let's keep reading. Quote, for a sign of how dramatic the shift in Qatar is, consider that FIFA successfully pressured Brazil to change its federal laws to allow alcohol sales in its stadium before it hosted the 2014 World Cup overturning a ban that had been enacted due to violence at its stadiums. Alcoholic drinks are part of the FIFA World Cup, so we're going to have them. Then FIFA Secretary General Jerome Vladek said back in 2012, quote, excuse me if I sound a bit arrogant, but that's something we won't negotiate, end quote. And obviously, I guess Mr. Vladek is looking back on the arrogance of his comments and saying, wow, that, that really didn't fly or the Qatari government's really just batted him down here because he did not get his way. And it's also upsetting that they didn't just say it from the very beginning. It was a, a last minute, oh, by the way, we won't be selling alcohol. They were trying to get all the t- ticket sales up, everybody who was going, get them excited. And then 
a day before they start. So they announce this Saturday, today's Sunday. So a day before they properly start, they announce, oh, yeah, by the way, you can't have alcoholic beverages inside the stadiums. And, you know, I get it. As the host nation, you get to make your, you have your own rules. You have your own legal uh, system in place. But at the end of the day, the World Cup, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, they're not the same without their fans in the stadiums holding up their beers, spilling them all over the place, singing their national songs and being passionate. So I think it does really undercut what a lot of people picture when it comes to World Cup events. But at the same time, maybe it'll make things a little bit more civil, less fights, less arguments in the stands. But, you know, there are still places where they will be able to drink. There are specific bars that have been licensed, same with restaurants, and certain live event areas that will allow the people that come in, any type of fans, to drink alcoholic beverages. At least, you know, they're not killing all the fun is basically what I was trying to get at there. But Qatar has some very, very tight laws on speech. Quote, Speech that's deemed critical of the Qatari government could trigger an arrest. Those laws apply to both a spoken word and social media. And while past World Cups have brought a heaping of argy-bargy scenes of viral crowds yelling or singing obscenities to one another, open conflicts can bring big problems in Qatar. Quote, for example, arguing or insulting others in public could lead to an arrest. The State Department advisory video stated, end quote. And that is something that I find, <laughs> I find that hilarious that they have laws like that in place in Qatar. And also, I don't think that they're going to be able to enforce them properly because fans that are going to the World Cup, they are especially passionate about their nation. They're traveling across the world to go see their nation play in the greatest sports spectacle in all of the world, basically. So they're extremely passionate, and I don't see the Qatari government being able to arrest all the people that are going to get in fights because it's going to happen all the time. And at the end of the day, football does unite everybody, but even a a two-minute skirmish that starts out as a fight that eventually turns into a friendly hug if the Qatari government steps in and says, no, you're fighting, they're never going to let those people come back together and actually say, oh, no, no, we're all here for football. Even though my team lost, even though I don't like your team, we're all here for soccer. So at the end of the day, we're going to see how how much they're able to actually enforce that because I don't see it being that likely, and I see fights happening and breaking out all the time. I mean, I watched the World Cup in Brazil from the U.S. And when I was in Argentina watching the South Ca- South African World Cup, I'll tell you now, there were fights inside the bar in Argentina, even though most people were rooting for Argentina. So if it can happen across the world in a bar that I was at in fifth grade, then why can't it happen with the fans who are even more passionate, who decided to spend their hard-earned money and time to go all the way across the world in order to see their team play? And there's one more restriction or set of restrictions that we need to talk about that goes back to the dress code that I mentioned when talking about the first article, which is Qatar has very, very tight rules on how you can dress in public. Quote, Qatar's offense, 
oppressive heat forced the tournament to be moved from the summer to November and December. But fans who find it hot there should limit how much skin they show. Dress codes in many public areas require that both men and women cover shoulders, chest, stomachs, and knees, and thigh leggings be covered by a long skirt or a dress, end quote. So basically, every normal practice uh, is either not allowed or is restricted in some way at this year's World Cup. You can't drink, you can't have arguments or fights over the teams, and you can't have those crazy fans who paint themselves the one color for their nation and end up going out there shirtless. You can't have any of that, which is all normal practice at World Cups. I think we're going to have lots of rule breakers, but I also think we're going to have lots of people who are afraid to break the rules because of these really tight restrictions. And why I think it's important to point all of these restrictions out is the World Cup is not just about the games that are being played, but also it's a chance to share and spread your country's values with the world. And at the end of the day, this is Qatar saying, we are one of the foremost nations. We have something of value. We have cultural values. We have religious values. We have norms that we think should be displayed to the world, that we are a great enough country, that our system works properly. And they're trying, like I said, to show it off to the world and say, this is how we do it in Qatar, and it's working for us. We are succeeding. We are successful. We are a thriving nation. And that's what the World Cup is. That's why Russia went so hard in order to get it in 2018, because they wanted to show their power as a nation on the world stage. So this is an opportunity for so many people to view what goes on inside your country and see the values and norms that you have. And it's a way to spread your influence. It's called soft power, essentially. So, you know, that's a very, very important piece of the puzzle when Qatar is deciding not to change some of these legal rules they have, especially for the World Cup, because they want to spread their values across the world and ensure that they are shown as a thriving special nation that is not changing its rules just because the World Cup is coming to town. All right, so now from the political stuff, the comments, all that, the normal part of the podcast, now we're going into a little bit more of the fun part. So we have some predictions from Sky Sports. The article reads, Sky Sports, pundits make their predictions for the Qatar tournament. And, you know, I'm not surprised that it came down this way. But out of the four pundits they asked a Sky Spor- at Sky Sports, three of them say Brazil is poised to win, while only Jamie Carter said Argentina was going to win. But one little asterisk there is he had it going down between Argentina and Brazil in the final. So obviously Brazil is one of the favorites. And, and that's not surprising. Brazil has always gone pretty far. They've always shown up very well. They have a lot of talent this year. Not necessarily younger talent, but a good portion of veteran talent. They have a pretty easy group as well with Switzerland as their only real competition within their group. I actually have the bracket in front of me right now. So they have Switzerland, Serbia, and Cameroon. I'm sorry to Serbia and Cameroon and honestly to Switzerland as well. That's not really a challenging group. Brazil's probably going to come out of that on top. If they don't, I'd be very, very surprised. And and then you look at other groups like Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. The only really weak one there I see is Ghana. And, you know, I think Portugal will come out on top of that. Actually, 
I'll save my predictions for that when we go into picking the bracket here in a minute. But honestly, I think the most challenging group that I see here is the one that the U.S. is in. There's England, the United States, Wales, and Iran. And obviously, Iran's not necessarily going to be that challenging, at least from what I've seen from some of the qualifying matches. But Wales and England and the U.S. all have the potential to do well. And the other really tight one is Spain, Germany, Costa Rica, and Japan. Japan doesn't always field the best group at the end of the day, the best team, but they've been in the World Cup pretty consistently. Costa Rica put up some good challenges when we were here in the United States, and obviously Spain and Germany, two powerhouses of soccer on the world stage. What I thought was interesting is Italy didn't make it in this year, considering they won the Euro, I believe it was two years ago, or uh, maybe a year ago at this point. I think it was, was it this summer? Well, they won the last Euro, so I was surprised when they didn't make it into the World Cup. But, like I said, the real nightmare group is with England, Wales, the United States, and Iran. And in this case, England and Wales really are the terrors that are most likely going to haunt the U.S., So the group schedule for Group B is the first game is today, as of when this this podcast is going live, November 21st, and the United States is playing Wales at 2 p.m. Eastern. And actually, I'm just going to break down when the U.S. is playing the other nations. We don't care about them. Let's go USA. Uh, November 25th, we play England again at 2 p.m. Eastern. And finally, on the 29th, We play at 2 p.m. again, Eastern Time, and that's going to be against Iran. So it's going to be an action-packed week in the group stages coming up here soon. And now we're going to go through my choices for which group, who's going to come out of the groups, and then we'll go through the bracket from there. All right, so in Group A, we have Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands. I think this one's pretty straightforward. I think Netherlands is going to come out on top. They're going to be first. Ecuador is going to scrape by in second. And then Senegal third, Qatar fourth. Then for Group B, I think England's going to be one. I think the United States is going to be two. That's me being optimistic. Wales three, Iran four. So England and the United States are going to make it out. In Group C, we have Poland, Mexico, Argentina, and Saudi Arabia. Argentina 1, Mexico 2, Poland 3, Saudi Arabia 4. Group D, we have France, Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. And this one's a little bit more tricky. I'm going to have France coming out number 1, of course. But I think I'm going to have Denmark coming out as 2, Australia as 3, Tunisia as 4. In Group E, which is Spain, Costa Rica, Japan, and Germany... I uh, I have a really hard time with this one. I'm going to say Germany number one, Spain number two, Japan three, Costa Rica four. In group F, we have Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. I think it's going to go Belgium, Canada, Croatia, and then Morocco. Then again, Croatia made a good run last time when they were going up against France in the finals. So, You know what? Actually, I'll change it. I'll say Belgium 1, Croatia 2, Canada 3. All right, Group G is Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. I think if you were listening, you know where I come down on this one. It's going to be Brazil, then Switzerland, 
then Serbia, then Cameroon. And Group H is going to be Portugal first, Uruguay second, South Korea third, Ghana last. All right, so now that we have our group picked out, we are going to go through the games that come after that. So in the first bracket, we're going to have Netherlands versus the United States. I think, you know, I'm going to be optimistic here. I'm going to say that the United States comes out on top of that one. Then next we have Argentina versus Denmark. I'm going to have Argentina beating Denmark. We would have Spain versus Croatia. Hmm, this is a repeat game. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, actually, no, it would be Germany versus Croatia. And I'm going to say Germany comes out on top of that one. And then Group G, Group G, Group G versus H. Hmm. So it would be Brazil versus Uruguay. I think Brazil comes out on top of that one. And then we're going to have England versus hmm, Ecuador. I think England comes out on top of that one. We're going to have France versus Mexico. I think France comes out on top of that one. Then we would have Belgium versus Spain. I think Spain comes out on top. I'm sorry, Belgium. I'm sorry, De Bruyne. But I I think Laporte and De Gea and all those guys are really going to bring it to you this year. And then for our final round of 16, we would have Portugal versus Switzerland. I think that's an easy one. I think Portugal comes out on top there. All right, so then next we would have the U.S. versus Argentina. This is a repeat game of when Messi scored that beautiful, beautiful free kick when I don't even remember if it was two years ago, uh, four years ago or eight years ago versus us right over the wall. Uh, unfortunately, I think the U.S.'s run, if they meet Argentina here, is over. I think Argentina goes to the quarters. And then I think that it's going to be, it would be Germany versus Brazil. And I think that actually Brazil comes out on top there. So on the one side of the bracket, we have Argentina and we have Brazil. And then on the other side, we're going to have England versus France. I think England comes out on top of that one. And then Portugal versus um, who would they be playing here? Sorry. It would be Portugal versus Croatia. And I think, wait, no, we already did that. Let me redo this. Sorry. The official one got taken down, so I'm doing this by memory here. So 2E would be Spain versus Belgium. Uh, Yeah, Spain comes out on top. So it would be Portugal versus Spain then. And I think Portugal comes out on top of that one. So then we have England and Portugal on one side, Argentina and Brazil on the other. I think Argentina takes down Brazil. And I'm going to say England takes down Portugal meaning it's Argentina and England in the final. And you know what? I'm feeling really hot about England this year. They came really close in the Euro when they were playing versus Italy in the final. I think they have a lot to live up to, a nice young squad with Harry Kane leading the way. And, you know, my boy, my boy from Everton, Pickford in goal. So I'm going to say 
England comes out, and we're gonna. I'm gonna give a prediction of three two in the final. So England's gonna win three two versus Argentina. That's my opinion on the matter. If you have any ideas or any commentary, or you want to call me out and say, Alex, no, you're so wrong. Or if you want to call me out for saying, Alex, I couldn't follow where you were going with everything. I'm sorry that the bracket that tried, I used the official one last night to set it up and prove that I could do it, but I didn't save it because I thought I would have time to do it with you guys live here today. But we just ran through all of those. And like I said, England coming out on top of Argentina in the final three, two. And remember to tune into the game for the USA at 2 p.m. today, if you're still listening at this point. But we will end, as normal, with our daily delight. And this one comes from the dodo. Dog can't believe her eyes when she sees who's standing outside the door. Sophie, the cutest German shepherd ever, was filmed reuniting with her dad, Austin, last month. Quote, since the time when she was a sweet German shepherd, little German shepherd named Sophie... She was just a puppy. Her and her dad, Austin, have been inseparable. She loves him so much, Allie Ross, Sophie's mom, told the dodo. This year, however, due to life circumstances, Sophie and Austin were forced to spend more time apart than they would have liked. Austin was deployed for six months, so Sophie had to go without dad's love for a while. Quote, having completed his deployment, Austin could finally return home. Ross decided to record the moment he arrived at the door to surprise Sophie. The, heart, the dog's heart was about to be whole once again. When the door opened, Sophie could hardly believe her eyes, end quote. And if you want to see the cute video of Sophie and Austin getting reunited, or if you want to read any of the articles that I went through here today, There will be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. And also down there is my Twitter handle, at your daily flip. I'm probably going to be posting stuff about the World Cup. And when it's not the World Cup, I post almost every day. Actually, I post every day, either retweeting something, quote tweeting something, or sending out news articles. Or on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I send out a link to the podcast so you can go directly there. All right, with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.